Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the first edition of the Patriots podcast. My name is Christopher Price, the Boston Globe. I am glad that you are joining us this week, and I hope you can make time to join us each and every week. We're going to start with once a week, and then hopefully we're going to be able to expand to a couple of episodes every week. We're going to have some great guests. We're going to have plenty of NFL insiders, a lot of expatriates, as well as a lot of local media members bringing us all the info direct from Gillette Stadium. But we're going to start things off the first episode with just kind of a quick look back at week one. Patriots uh, end up losing to the Dolphins 17-16. And if you follow me on Twitter, I'm at Globe. That's Globe. One of the things we do right after the game is we broad brush it. We write down stuff. We kind of transcribe stuff that we like and stuff that we didn't like. And so let's take a quick look back at the game. First of all, stuff that I liked. And we're going to get into this more with our first guest uh, momentarily here. But the chemistry between Nelson Aguilar and Mac Jones. I, I really thought that those two guys look like they've been playing together for a while. And I don't know if it's going to you know, be a week-to-week thing or if it's just a you know, one-off here in this instance. But I really like what Aguilar and Jones were able to do together on a relatively consistent basis. And I'd like to see more of it going forward. I'm not saying that it's, you know, Tom Brady and Deion Branch circa 2002, 2003, 2004. But at the same time, it's a good start for a new receiver and a rookie quarterback. Uh, the other thing too, and we're going to get into this more. And if you listen, if you're going to end up listening to this podcast, you got to know that I'm a James White apologist. The reliability of someone like James White it cannot be overlooked, especially, you know, when it came to moving the chains, picking up some key catches. I think he is due for a big year. Ivan Fears talked a little bit about this earlier in the week. And I, I think, you know, I, I'm not a fantasy football guy, but James White just appears to be due for a big bounce back season here in New England. And then the third thing that really stood out to me was Nick Folk and being able to have that reliability. You talk about the reliability when it comes to James White. You know, if you have a guy like Nick Folk back there, I think that's a very good thing for your special teams. I'm going to be fascinated to see over the course of the year how much we see of Nick Folk and how much Quinn Nordine and maybe Nordine grows into that role sooner rather than later. I don't know. But in the meantime, it's good to have someone like Folk in your corner, connects for three field goals, is able to keep your team in the game. Uh, let's get to stuff that I didn't like. And we'll just kind of, again, this is a broad brush approach here. Um, Stevenson. Uh, you know, the, the the rookie running back, Ramondre Stevenson, the turnover, the blown block, it, it, it's a, a, a bad start for a young player. And I'm going to be fascinated to see how Stevenson and to some extent how Harris respond to this. I talked to uh, Antoine Smith for a story in the Globe earlier this week, and he said that, you know, look, fumbles are part of the game, but what you can't afford is to have those fumbles kind of play in the minds of the running backs and kind of continue to be a problem, continue to be an issue moving forward. So I'm going to keep an eye, and we should all keep an eye, honestly, on Stevenson and Harris and how they respond to those struggles over the first week of the season. Um, second thing that, that stood out to me was the end of the first half defense, and, and there were some struggles there as well, and I've been kind of harping on this over the last year plus. They appear to be ill-prepared at times when it comes to defending teams in end-of-half situations. And even though Jalen Mills came up with a great pass, pass breakup to uh, you know kind of keep the Dolphins out of the end zone, there are still things there that I think need to be cleaned up. The injury to Trent Brown is another thing, too. And as we sit here 
we're going to get into this a little bit with a guest as well. Uh, it, it, it is, it's, it's a little bit of a concern because he has been so consistent, you know, when he's been in there for, for the Patriots, he's been so consistent. He's been so steady. The tackle depth, if you lose a guy like Trent Brown, certainly takes a hit. Again, something to watch going forward. And then the fourth thing, this goes back a little bit to the turnovers, just an overall inability to finish drives with touchdowns. They had three drives of 14 plays that ended in field goals. You're going to have to finish off drives like that if you're going to want to be able to beat good teams, any teams really, you know, much less a, you know, win a division game, win an important division game in September at home. So those are the things, you know, that's what we're going to get out of the way off the top. This is just, you know, again, we're broad brushing it, talking about stuff we liked, talking about stuff we didn't like. Now let's move forward. I want to welcome in our first guest. He's a good friend of mine. I've known him for probably 20 years or so, ever since his days at New England Cable News, Mike Giardi at the NFL Network. Mike, it's a pleasure to have you here with us. I want to get right into it. First off, first and foremost, really, what was what impressed you the most about Mac Jones on Sunday against the Dolphins? Just the way he processed things. Again, it's just sort of a continuation of what we had heard about him before they drafted him and what we've seen over the course of the spring and summer. I thought he played fast. And when you're a rookie and you can play fast, I just think it says a lot about your mental capacity for the game um, and understanding what the other team is trying to do to you and how to best attack it. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but that was pretty good for, for a, a debut against what I think is a tough defense and a tough scheme. What was the biggest surprise for you when it came to him? Was it the level of preparation? Was the fact that he was able to play so fast or was it something else? What really stood out for you the most in terms of the biggest surprise? You know what I've, I have come to appreciate about him, uh, especially during the summer and now in this first game, is how he um, corrects his mistakes. You know, that we, we hear it all the time around here, right? Don't be an error repeater. And I, I made the example on TV yesterday where he threw that ball to Jacoby Myers over the middle. It's about 25, 30 yards down the field. It's a good throw. McCourty recovered, knocked the ball away. And everyone's like, oh, that's a great throw and just a great play by McCourty. And I was thinking it was a pretty good throw, but he could have put it out there a little bit more. He could have put a little bit more zip on it. And so the very next series, Nelson Aguilar, not the same route, but in the same general ballpark, same thing, going across the middle, 25, 30 yards down the field. He drove the football, threw it a little bit lower. Aguilar makes the catch. And to me, that was, this would have worked at Alabama. Maybe this would have worked in the preseason. It just didn't work in week one. I get another opportunity to do it again. And this is how I'm going to do it. And he had success with it. I'm glad you bring up Aguilar because it's a point I wanted to get to. One of the things that stood out for me, and I talked a little bit about this before, is the chemistry that he displayed with Aguilar. Is that, are we reading too much into that? You were there every day over the course of the summer. You were able to see him build a rapport with some of these receivers. He came out in that first game. He showed a nice connection with Aguilar. Is that just kind of a one-off thing, or is this something that's been building for a while? Yeah, I don't think we saw much of it in training camp. I thought we saw a better connection with Kendrick Bourne from Mac. I think we saw a better connection with Jacoby Myers because, look, listen, Nelson missed some time um, with the ankle and sort of has been in and out of the lineup. So I just think that speaks to um, one of the reasons that they like Nelson, right, is the ability to plug and play him in a couple of different spots. Um, I, I know there's the hands thing. That's who he is at this point. I think we can all agree that that's probably not going to dramatically change but that he's a smart player 
and understands what they're looking for and is able to, to sort of move across the lineup. And yeah, you plug him in without a ton of reps with Mac physically and still able to perform at that level, I thought was a good sign. I think we need to take both of their cases separately because they both have different resumes. But what's going to happen now to Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson moving forward? It, it, it was interesting. I was talking to Antoine Smith after the game, but I wrote this for the paper on Tuesday that you can't let fumbles dissuade you from running hard. And he knows that sometimes it's obvious. It's like a relief pitcher giving up a home run. You got to put it in the back of your mind. You got to move forward. What are we going to see from them moving forward? It seems to me that Harris is a guy, obviously, he's been around for a year. He may be a little bit more prepared to deal with the mental fallout from something like this, but we don't know anything much about Stevenson really at this level. Yeah, we don't. And I'll, I'll just take you back. I didn't think that they should have traded Sony. And I don't, and I don't mean like Sony was going to be this major impact player because I think it's clear that Damien's a better runner and Damien is who they're going to feature. But I think six, eight, 10 carries from Sony. Um, as someone who does hold on to the football would have been beneficial in that spot because I think Damian was pretty worn down by the end of the football game. And, you know, again, if you're getting that six to eight to 10 carries from Sony, you don't get to that point. I don't know who is pinging away here. Um, so, so, you know, Stevenson fumbles, then he came back in, it was a blitz pickup. He did a terrible job on the blitz pickup. He got smoked. Um, I wonder how they go forward with him. You know, is JJ Taylor the answer there? Look, they're not the same build. You know, they're, if they're looking for a bigger back, it's got to be Stevenson. So maybe Stevenson's get rolled out again this week. And look, dude, you can't screw up. You got to be better in blitz pickup. And if it doesn't work again, if there are some issues again, then maybe all of a sudden they start thinking, well, we go to JJ and then maybe we got to look somewhere else as well. What do we know about J.J. Taylor? Because we saw a little bit of him last year, and I'm wondering, people will ask me, and they'll say, you know, to your point, he has a, a very, very different body type than Stevenson. He runs a little bit differently. He's a little bit more, you know, in a perfect world, he's a Darren Sproles type where he's, you know, an undersized guy, maybe a little Deion Lewis thrown in for good measure. Is he the type of guy who, in your mind, could survive between the tackles for 10 to 15 carries a game, at the very least, just to give him, a, you know, a change of pace, a different look? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's how they view him. And I, I think when you look back on like Woodhead, you know, sort of a similar, smaller guy, um, obviously not as small as JJ, but sort of that same thing where they never really wanted to do that with him either. You know, maybe there was a game here or there where he got into the double digits, but by and large, it was trying to manage his touches so that he was effective over the long haul. I, look, I think JJ's got a place in this league. Um, assuming that he can do the blitz pickup stuff, which again, we haven't gotten a, a real good sample size on that just yet, but as a playmaker, I think he has potential. Um, but I think it's, you know, to me, I almost have looked at him in this point as being James's backup, yeah. you know, in that role. And again, with the, with the caveat, can, can he handle blitz pickup? Are we going to see more of in, you know, obviously with this, you know, me being a James White apologist, I have to ask this question. Is James White now going to be more of a featurey type back? I know he's not a traditional between the tackles guy, but at least over the course of a two, three week period where you, maybe you need to build Stevenson and you need to build Harris back up a little bit. Is he the type of guy who can give you some of those reps at the very least on a short term basis? Yeah, I think so. And I, and I think the other thing here is pretty clear. And I know last year there were some personal circumstances for James that we obviously everybody knows about him. It was a tough year uh, for him in that regard. But 
this offense is James's offense. This offense is the offense that he was a part of a huge part of, uh, you know, 70, 80, 90 catches with Brady, a quarterback. And this, we're back to that sort of offense. Whereas last year, because of what they were doing, he just, he never really found his foothold in that offense because that wasn't what Cam did well. And I think now you're also seeing, Hey, look, if you were wondering about maybe has he lost a step, is he not that same player? I think at least he showed you in week one. And I think he showed you kind of late in training camp that, yeah, he's he's still here and he's still he's still capable of being that guy. Is there anything better than the reliability of James White? It just in terms of he is a guy who and again, the size is one. It's it's the same size back, you know, the same type of guy. I, I, I think of Kevin Falk and I think of a budding Kevin Falk. And I know that that's an awful high comparison when you look at Falk's career in the career arc and the numbers that he was able to put up. But I think he's growing into that sort of role. I imagine he's starting to develop that same sort of stature in the locker room, that level of respect, because he's been around for a long time. You start to look at that roster. You really start to break down that roster. He is getting to be one of the senior guys around there. Yeah. And Bill, Bill mentioned it right in the summer where he said like, James is one of those people that I talk to and he shoots me straight and Mm -hmm. look, you know, the sort of shadow that Bill casts over the organization and how rough he can be on some of these guys. And it just kind of shows you James's the cachet that James has and his ability to go in there and say, I don't like this, or, you know, this is going on and we need to do something about it. Uh, I don't know that there are very many guys in that roster, especially as you mentioned now, he's sort of one of the senior guys. You've turned over a lot of your key players here. Um, I think it just speaks a lot to, to who he is and, and how much Bill values him and his, his input. I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but the idea of James White, I, I would I would have thought for for all the money in the world that he would have been in Tampa by now. That, that at the end of the season, yeah. Tom Brady would have called him because the Bucks needed a pass catching back, and you know his time here was clearly coming to an end. At least in my mind, that he would have just said, you know what, I'm a Florida guy, I'm going to go play with Tom, I'm going to go enjoy the last couple of years in the league. But he ended up sticking around, and, and more power to him that he wants to be able to be a part of a team that not only wins a Super Bowl but be able to at least in theory climbs back up to the top of the mountain again. I, I know you've been interested and I know from, from seeing you on television and I know from, from, you know, reading your tweets, your social media account, um, you've been pushing the idea that the Patriots want to run this offense through the tight end eventually, which makes sense. Smith and Henry, you know, these are the two big off season acquisitions. Is there anything that you saw on Sunday against the dolphins that might dissuade you from that? Or is that process accelerated because of, what we saw from the running backs, the fumbles we saw from the running backs on Sunday. Well, I would say that I think Hunter Henry's still sort of working his way back in. Obviously, the the summer didn't go that great because of the shoulder injury and you know missing ten or twelve days, and then it was red non contact jersey for another two weeks. And you know they can talk all they want about sort of the the you know we just sort of mentioned it with Aguilar, but Aguilar was out there a lot more than. Than, than Hunter was about sort of building chemistry. And I think you saw points where, especially in the first half, you're like, Hunter's out there, but the ball's not even coming, you know, near his, near his vicinity, a couple of catches in the second half. I think there's more growth there for Hunter as a pass catcher. And yeah, I think there's more of a way to utilize him in this offense. I think, I also think too, in the beginning of the game, and maybe at other points that Josh maybe was a little bit conservative. And again, I think you're sort of feeling out the process here of, your rookie quarterback and what can you do? What can't you do? You're having some uh, protection issues with both tackles and that may have played into it as well. But I think there's more to be done with the tight ends. I think, you know, we saw the, the handoff to Janu. I would expect some more of that as well. I think that there's, 
I don't think we've, we, we saw the full force of what they're going to do at tight end with this offense. And I think here's something that they'll, they'll gradually build into here. As we sit here on Tuesday, do you think that Trent Brown is going to be able to play? It doesn't appear that he's going to, at least it's, he's, he's day-to-day right now. That's the report. Yeah. And in the idea with the idea of, you know, doing whatever you can do to set your quarterback, your young quarterback up for success, I would imagine a large part of that is having that really excellent offensive line intact. What's your read right now on Trent Brown going forward Sunday against the Jets? Yeah, my, my fear is this is more than a day-to-day situation. It's more of a multi-week situation. And I, I would be surprised, I guess, mm-hmm. if we see him out there. And I also think it's sort of a long view. Like, look, Trent had the, the calf issues in Vegas, cost him three games. Um, you know, we talk about basketball players. I was making this analogy. We talk about basketball players, big ones, who, you know, the seven footers, who when they all of a sudden, when they have that lower leg injury, they're never the same. Bill Walton being the most famous one, but like Kristaps Porzingis is a guy who everyone thought was a unicorn. And now all of a sudden it's like four different leg injuries and he's not the same player. Trent is six, eight. He's three eighty. I mean, that's way more weight than any human should be carrying, even on a six eight frame. I know he's a professional football player, but so he's had some of these issues now. And I think that's going to have to be managed mm-hmm. to me. And I think he's a really important piece of this process. And I think he even saw that after one series, mm-hmm. how things changed with him not being out there. So I think you look at the Jets and say, you know, we're not going to beat him by 30 points because I don't know if you're that team right now, but we should be able to beat them with whoever it is at right tackle, let's give Trent a little bit of time here to make sure that when he gets back in the lineup, this isn't something that we're worrying about series to series. You're talking about the Jets, and it's interesting to me. I thought about this this morning, the 2008 season, where Brady gets hurt week one, Castle comes in, they win week one, they go down to, to New York in week two, and obviously, look, it's a very different you know, New York team. It's years ago. There's some questions about them. You know, they're not the traditional Patriots going forward, but they go into New York and they win the game. There, there's some earmarks there. This is not, again, the same Jets team. This is, I was saying it's a better Jets team than it is now. But, you know, you, you can start to kind of put some pieces together where, and, and again, this goes back to the whole 2008 comparison, kind of quarterbacking without Brady, putting your young quarterback in the best possible position to win, to be able to succeed. I guess my, my ultimate question here is, how do you see things shaking out on Sunday as these two teams stand right now, again, we're here on Tuesday, so we have a few days out, but, but give me your impressions as to this, you know, how this matchup is going to look. Well, I mean, I look at it as to say, I know it's week two of a long season of a 17 game regular season. I think the Patriots should be a little bit desperate here, you know, right away, because you had a game you probably should have won. You talk about the penalties, putting the ball on the ground. Uh, you, you held the Dolphins to 17 points. Although, look, there were there were a couple moments there where they needed to make a stop and they didn't. Um, but if I'm the Patriots, I said, "Damn, we lost the division game that we shouldn't have lost, and now we can't afford to have anything happen here with the Jets and lose another division game and come out of the shoot 0 and 2 because then the noise gets louder. You know, th- there's all kinds of things about you know, as we know, Belichick. You don't want these distractions. There'll be questions. People, the media might get a little bit more." Um, difficult to deal with in, in situations like that. So I, I look at this and say, boys, we got to put our best foot forward here. We, we got to make sure we're even one and one after this thing happens. And however that needs to be done, that needs to be done. I would expect to loosen the reins a little bit on, on Mac. And I think, again, you saw some of it in the second half of the game in particular, but like, wouldn't surprise me if we saw some no huddle in this game. It wouldn't surprise me if they tried to pick up tempo a little bit and like, let's, Let's push the ball maybe a little bit more as well if we get an opportunity. So 
yeah, I think the, the Patriots, they've got to be a hungry team this weekend. The idea of putting a little bit more on his plate every week. Again, at least in theory, this is supposed to be, quote unquote, the easier part of your schedule. Yeah. And, and kind of ramping up toward October and Brady and some of the larger challenges. But at least for me, this, this is another winnable game for them. And it's a matter of going out and being able to execute and being able to shake off those penalties and shake off those ill-timed turnovers. They appear to have the personnel that is capable of doing that. The question is, can they go out and execute, especially on the road? Look, the Jets are the Jets, and we all know their situation. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, you you bring up a really good point. You know, you can't start the season 0-2. No, it's not a place you want to go. And, uh, you know, like when we're talking about putting more on Max plate, think about how many times we've talked to Bill in those press conferences, Chris, where, and I'll use Kyle Arrington as an example, right? They signed Kyle as a street-free agent. And okay, they, let's see if he can do some special team stuff. Well, he, he handles this role. Maybe there's a little bit more here. All right, let's let's give him a few snaps in the in the dime. He did that okay. Let's try him in nickel. Ah, that's okay. And all, all of a sudden, he's a five six year guy for you. Gets a nice contract from the Ravens in free agency. Like they they, they give you little pieces, and if you can handle those pieces, they'll give you more. So I think they got to look at what Mac did on Sunday and say he handled what. They threw at him. He handled what we threw at him. So now let's put a little bit more on his plate and see how he deals with that. The last question for me, are we going to see the Hoyer folk personnel train moving back and forth between the, the practice squad and, you know, the 53 man on Sunday all over the course of the season? Or is this going to be as Nordine gets maybe a little bit more comfortable, you know, we see more of Nordine and less of folk. And how, how's that all going to play out? Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be Hoyer and, and folk on the, on the, on the roster coming up, you know, and I think it's going to be a permanent thing. And I think what your hope is, is that with the idea of working with Nordine is that Nordine can be, you know, pass through waivers and end up on, on the practice squad that maybe other teams are set at kicker and no one's going to place a claim on him and right away, put him on the 53 man roster. I think that's sort of how this plays out in my mind. And I know we always get crazy about like, Oh, well, the guy could get claimed. And then you, you go through and everybody makes it through waivers i mean it it generally happens that very few guys get claimed on waivers so i think that's probably their best hope right now and then look if something happens with folk because he's not a young man anymore or if all of a sudden you're seeing this consistency that you want from nordine on the practice squad that we you know saw in fits and spurts and in the summer then maybe you make that transition but for right now when points are at a premium i think you want your steadiest guy and that's nick I, i think this is the first series of conversations that we'll have that will end with Boy, can you believe that Brian Hoyer was named the quarterbacks coach? <laughs> Every team with all, all of these young quarterbacks out there, so many of these young quarterbacks, so many of these rookie quarterbacks, look, we all know what Hoyer can or can't do on the field anymore. But Hoyer, for me, every team with a young quarterback should have a Brian Hoyer in the locker room, a guy who's been around for years, a guy who can be a conduit between the coach, you know, whether it's the offensive coordinator or Bill and the young quarterback. For people who aren't aware, and I guess this is my last question, for people who aren't aware of Hoyer's impact on this team and just see him on the sidelines and don't see what he does on a week-to-week basis, on a day-to-day basis, explain it for them a little bit. Well, I mean, look, just his personality when Mac threw the touchdown, the first guy from the bench to come greet him was, was Hoyer, and Hoyer was, like, beside himself. He was screaming and yelling like you don't really see Brian Hoyer. And I just – look, Brian – can teach the offense. There's no question. Now he can't execute it the way I think you would have hoped, right? Or, or you wanted to last year, maybe at points, and certainly in that Kansas City game. But sort of having that veteran presence, 
someone who, yes, he competes out there, but he understands his role, understands what he's here for. He's here to help Mac, but also he's preparing. Like, so if he gets put in there, he's not going to be like, coach, what happened? I don't know what I'm doing. Um, that's not going to be him. Uh, subjugate the ego because he's look, he started a lot of games in this league and he probably looks at some other quarterback situations and says, I could probably have gone there and competed for that job and, and maybe got another contract to, with a little bit more money to, and started some games. But my family likes it here. It's important here. I like the culture here. I like the fit here. And yeah, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to put on my resume all these things, these games I started and this and that and the other thing, but you're also going to, you know, Mac Jones might be talking about him 10 years from now saying, you know, what was huge for my transition to become a successful player in this league was having someone like Brian Hoyer mm -hmm. to be able to help teach, console, heal, all the things that he brings to the table. He's just that, that solid guy that, um, you know, when you, you talk about the course of a season and maybe he doesn't get a lot of snaps. Maybe he doesn't get any snaps. Actually, if things are going well, he probably doesn't get any snaps. Right. But that he's a big part of your success regardless. Yeah. It was interesting. I did a story a couple of years ago where I went around the locker room and I talked to 20 plus guys and I said, who would make the best coach once their playing days are done? Two names consistently came up, Karras and Hoyer. So it was no yeah. real surprise to hear, you know, either one of those names, Mike, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you doing this. Be well and hope we can talk again very, very soon. Thanks, Chris. Take care. Want to thank Mike Giardi for joining us here on the first edition of the Patriots podcast. Want to also make sure that you guys know that we will take your tweets, your emails. Want to hear your thoughts, your ideas, your analysis over the course of the entire season, as well as into the off season here on the Patriots podcast. Feel free to tweet me at cpriceglobe. That's cpriceglobe. You can also send me an email at christopher.price at globe.com. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of the Patriots podcast, and we'll be coming back at you each week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.